Welcome to The Engineering Room, a monthly series of long-form conversations with influential people from the world of software. The Engineering Room series is sponsored by Equal Experts, and I'd like to thank them for their ongoing support. So if you'd like some help building some great software or are interested in finding a great place to work, please do check out their links in the description below. My guest today is a friend and was actually the first ever guest on this channel. She's an agile expert, a teacher and a consultant. She's an expert on how teams work and how to help them do better. She's also extremely popular as a public speaker with a wickedly dry sense of humour, which you're probably going to see today if, my, <laughs> if I know her at all. She's also been a prolific conference organiser and has been involved in selecting the content for some of the world's major software conferences over many years, including some of my favourites. If you've ever been to GoTo, Yao or a QCon conference, you've probably seen Ino Selection in place. She has a PhD in computer science and works with innovative and sometimes less than innovative teams to help them maximise their potential. Her recent book, Retrospectives Anti-Patterns, is full of insightful advice on how to cope with the problems that often arise in wielding that vital, but not always popular, feedback to all the retrospective. She's currently teaching computer science teachers how to teach computer science. So the name of her company, MetaDeveloper, is pretty apt, really. You'll be able to see more of Ino on this channel soon because she's going to start contributing content uh, on topics that are probably a little different to the way that are, the sorts of things that I regularly talk about. So please welcome Ino Curry. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me again, Dave. Either you ran out of ideas or it wasn't too bad last time. <laughs> it wasn't too bad last time. It's a pleasure to see you again, Ina. Um, Likewise. So, so you this this work that you're doing teaching the teachers. Why do the teachers need teaching? Well, yeah, the teachers need teaching in order to teach better when they're teaching, and it's um, so it it's actually it's a longish story, but we have time. So. The reason why I'm teaching teachers how to teach is because at computer science in the university in Denmark that I studied at, there had been some less good teaching for the students. And I'm sure it was only our university. It never happens in any other university. Uh, so one of the times that I worked in the university, I've been going back and forth between the university and, and industry since my PhD. And one of the times I came back was to try to improve the teaching in computer science. Because I had at that at, at that time I had been teaching for, for 16 years. And they they wanted me to come back as a researcher in how you are teaching and learning computer science and to to improve the teaching. And I I came back to university full of good intentions. And I, I really thought this was a very, very good idea. And what I learned in the three years that I stayed in that role was that the people who already have their, should we say, bum in butter at the university might not be that interested in spending a lot of time on changing the way that they teach. Um, in in the good, I've seen that's a Danish phrase. Having your bum in butter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you can you can you can sense how nice it is, right? <laughs> you don't want to change that situation. 
Right. So uh, sure that it appeals, but never mind. Carry on. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's 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 no important for for what I have to say now. The point is that that the the professors, the full professors, they are okay as they are. Right. Nothing needs to change. Everything's perfect. That's sort of what you want when you start an academic career. And the the associate prof- professors, they were they were on the last stage before the full professorship. So they were very um focused on making better research, get a, getting more references um so that they could become professors. The assistant professors were just starting that journey and they were also very much focused on on getting more references on their research and getting into a right research group. The assistant professors knew that in some of the universities in the world, people had started looking at also your teaching portfolio when they hired people for associate professorships, but probably not for full professorships. But the postdocs, the people who were just out of the PhD and who needed to start teaching, they were interested. And the PhDs that just needed to start teaching as part of their PhD, which is what you do in Denmark, when you're employed as a PhD student, you have to teach. Um, they were very interested in learning how to teach because they were so afraid of teaching. So what happened was that I tried for three years to teach all these different groups. And it turned out that it was actually mostly the PhDs and the postdocs that were actually interested in changing anything. The others might be academically interested in in hearing about how the brain works but but they were the only ones that I could really change so I quit that job and the university asked me if I could maybe continue as an external lecturer teaching just the PhD students and mm-hmm. I've done that now for for a number of years so that's so that's why I teach the teachers so I teach the new teachers how to teach computer science so two times a year I get I get a bunch of students and in the beginning, they're all like this. They're like, we don't want to hear about this. This is terrible. It's like, oh, it's it's got nothing to do with computer science. We just want some hard science. And then almost all of them after the course say that they, uh, they're actually pretty happy that they took that course because now they uh, they feel most, much less scared about teaching. Is this focused only on teaching computer science or or technical subjects more generally? Um, Yes, it is. And it is because we've had some experiences where they had some people from psychology or pedagogical studies who, who, who taught them in general terms how you are to teach. And the problem in computer science, uh, and again, it might just be my university, was that they said that this person doesn't know how difficult it is to teach computer science and to learn computer science. So all those fluffy, generic psychological things we cannot use here because it's much too difficult. So what they need here is that they need somebody who has been teaching computer science at the university, which I had been. I have now been doing that for 25 years. I just made the calculation before this. And and somebody who is also taught in industry, because that means that I know how to teach on an academic level towards maybe research, but I also know how to teach people in the industry about how to become better object-oriented programming or a specific mm-hmm. programming languages or or specific um, things that you, that you need to learn in industry. So 
when we are focusing this on computer science, it makes them respect it a bit more from the get-go, even though 90% of what I'm saying is completely generic for teaching. And it seems to me, um, I suppose, in, in the past, as a consumer of the output of universities to some degree, hiring junior people out of university and so on, that there's a big gap between um, the kinds of skills that people leave university with and the kind of skills that they're going to need in order to become a professional software developer of some kind. Would, would you agree with you? I can see you nodding, so you would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. But there are so many moving parts in this in this challenge, if you'd say. So that like this, if you look at a university degree in computer science, historically, it has been focused towards an academic career. It's like everything you're being taught is is taking you a little step further to become a professor in computer science. And that is because that has been sort of the utmost goal for the people who are teaching. And when the people who are teaching are thinking this is the best thing to do, obviously this is what they're trying to teach the students because the people who are, can we say, prolific in industry are normally not the one who are teaching at university. The ones teaching at university are the ones who really be lined towards that academic career. Yeah. So there's been a big mismatch. And also in my in my research in teaching and computer science, there is also the other thing that the people who are deciding what you should be taught, like all the different um all the different courses, they have either never been in industry or it's been a very long time since they've been in industry. So yeah. when they put the program together, like the whole holistic program together, it's also focused towards an academic uh, degree and not industry. I, I, and I, so I suppose that's most that's students a... are doing at least, yeah. Sorry. I spoke over you. Yeah. Please go. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I suppose. No, that... I've forgotten. Please say it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I suppose that that means that um, there's there's two aspects to that what one those people don't have the experience um, but also it's kind of the stuff that's easier to score to some degree if you can kind of think in those sorts of terms and the sorts of things that you know the the more fuzzy problem solving i suppose in, in the way that i would think about, about it in industry that's that's a very good point so um Oh God, I've got so much I want to say about this. <laughs> cool, so, go. <laughs> so, so, uh, <laughs> so, what you what you are touching upon here is is what's called learning goals or learning objectives. Yeah. And when I when I was a student at uh, at computer science, we didn't talk about learning goals and learning objectives. We we talked about how much you needed to understand. Mm -hmm. And if you if you want to if you want to evaluate how much people understand the way to do it is to make them say something to to explain something and then you will evaluate how to what level to what degree they understand it or you make them as you say uh you make an easy not an easy but you make a test a 
written test where they have to solve some specific problems and academic problems um, are much easier to describe than real life problems in a sense. They're much easier to describe and they're much easier to evaluate. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I learned when I when I stepped into this research about learning and, and teaching was that all, all the different examinations that I'd done before both oral and written examinations, I tried to think about how much they understood. I tried to ask questions to see how much they understood. I tried to evaluate what they said to see how much they understood. And in a sense, a lot of the oral examinations that I examined both as an examiner and a censor, it was more like an IQ test than it was actually figuring out how much they got out of the um, out of the course. So if you yeah. think about learning goals, it's much more practical. It's much more concrete. So learning goals or learning objectives is not so much what are you going to teach and what's the level of understanding, but what can they actually do? What can they say? What can they evaluate? What can they do? All these things. Yeah. So 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 so, so measuring what they can actually do at the end of the the, the learning is is going to is going to move move us forward in that way. The, the the you were talking about computer science and and the 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 the, uh, the route through uh, that being somewhat dominated by academic thinking. Inevitably, mm -hmm. I suppose. I suppose yeah. that's a I suppose that's a generally structural problem in universities to some degree. If you think of those as you know. Uh, the vocational component of of university education, which is not all it's I recognize it's not all that it's about, of course. Uh, and so but I was wondering whether whether you know, know or, or think that that's applicable to other related styles of of degree. So one, one of the things that I've been talking about with people is, you know, uh, software engineering degrees as well, because my book's starting to be used in some universities mm. as part of, part of the curriculum to talk about ideas, and and so I'm kind of interested in that sort of topic too. Do you think this? Do you think that's this is more generally true of technical education than only computer science? I I think it is generally true about that, and and I don't know if it is. If if my theory is correct here, but I think that the, the sort of one of the challenges is that we are using a very academic education to do something which is very practical. There's been a lot of discussion about whether computer science is actually science and whether it's really engineering. But and and there's sort of this weird mismatch between thinking about it as an academic thing where you where you're thinking about like optimizing time complexity and uh, better algorithms and and then just the problem solving that that you go and do day to day, which is a bit more of a concrete, practical way of doing it. it it's as if we, we're taking people to university and then they we expect them to be able to paint buildings when they come out. Yes. And, and it doesn't work that way. Some of the students that are studying computer science and engineering come out and are really good at what they should do. But that is not something they've learned in university. That's something they've done. Yeah. on their own either they've had a student job or they've just been genuinely interested in it and had some things they did on their own so like for instance when i was studying i i was working um as a student counselor not as a program i was working as a student counselor so i i like to get into the rules of the university and help the students get better in the uh, in the weekends and the summer vacations i would work in a 
in an old people's home, which also didn't help me much with the debugging skills. <laughs> and then I got I got my first daughter already in the third year, and that meant that I only had time for her and the studies and the job that I needed to still have because I needed the money. Um, so I I didn't come out of university being a very good programmer. I knew how to do it and I could do it, but there were some things that I had to learn when I came out. And when I talk to the when I talk to the students at university now. The students, so when I say students, it's the one that I'm teaching now, the PhD students or the postdocs. What they are saying is that they get a lot of questions when they're when they're teaching about how is it actually out there? Yeah. Are we really doing it like that? Are we really doing that? And there's very few of the education, very few people in the education, at least in academia, that knows anything about what you're actually doing. Yeah. There are some people there who are teaching agile methodologies who's never worked in an agile methodology yeah or they've never they've never worked as a programmer they've never worked in a team as a programmer and yeah. then they 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 just read the books and then they talk about that and that's that's very well if you're talking about optimization or algorithms or database management systems you can probably or oh, i know you can read a lot of stuff and understand that but for things like working in teams and the process and talking to talking to stakeholders it, in my experience, you can't just read that in the book. Yes. Um. So it's it's that they they are yearning for this information, and it's and every a... little every little thing I say, even though it's got nothing to do with what I'm teaching. Yeah. I'm saying okay, so this is actually with the way that we are doing this. this is actually the way that we're doing this, and blah blah blah, and coding standards and committing and using Slack to communicate and things like that. They're like so easy, so eager to get this information. Yeah, it's, it, it seems to me that this kind of falls between the two, you know, the students fall between the two stalls of, you know, the industry and, and academia. On the one hand, you've got the problems that you're talking about in, in, in academia of the people doing the teaching not necessarily focused on you know the things that industry needs from those for the people that come out uh, and maybe not experienced to know that they're missing the focus in some cases but 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 then on the other hand we've got industry that wants to prefer you know cookie cutter solutions to hiring people that can bring somebody yeah. in with all of the skills and all of the technology and they're not willing to train them yeah and that seems yeah. like a a fairly disastrous way of starting somebody's career off to me. You're going to bring people in and stress them out because they haven't got the right skills and put them into yes. situations. And there seems to be there seems to be a responsibility gap on both sides of it to me. I think employers ought to be doing a much much better job of bringing new people in and helping you know, more more junior people begin their careers and universities ought to be doing a better job of preparing them for for that i wonder do you think that what we do for a living is is a profession or not I, I, because i think that that would change the way that we thought about the training maybe yeah well i it is a profession but it's but there there are so many different ways of being in this profession Yes. Like my, my husband is also a computer scientist. He was actually one of the first students I taught 25 years ago. 
um, but that's a different story. Um, but what he is doing is optimizing garbage collectors, right? And what I'm doing is optimizing team efforts and processes in in yeah. in software development. And and we people still from the outside look as a look at us as if we're doing the same thing. We're doing very yeah. very different things in a sense. Yeah. So I don't know whether it's where whether it's one or whether it's more. I I think in a sense that we put too much under than under that hat. I think maybe we should divide it up a little bit more, um, be yeah. a little bit more specific, because otherwise people need to know all of this, yes. and that's probably too much. Yes, uh, and and as I, I I I often when I think about this kind of thing, I often, I often think in my head I'm making analogies with something like the medical medical profession or mm. and so on. And of course, you know, if if you train to be a doctor. You don't come out of your training and immediately expect to be doing the most difficult, you know, procedures or operations unsupervised. You're going to work as part of a team with other people who will help you to carry on your learning, but in a more practical setting. But the other part of that is that during your training, you're going to be it is more vocational training to some degree. You'll be learning patient skills and all of those things as part of your training. And it seems to me that that's you know in in training that's one of the things that we tend to lack i agree i agree so they they take people directly from university and they expect them to be able to do everything talk yeah. to customers talk to each other write reports estimate program optimize other people's program reading other people's program have they ever done yeah. that before yeah and and like communicating and agreeing about coding standards and even appreciating that it there's so many things that are difficult. So one of the one of the teachers that we have at computer science where I was is um is a teacher who actually has been out in the real world and he's now teaching the software architecture course. Yeah. And his software architecture course is is one of the most um popular courses at this university. It's it's partly because he's a very good teacher. But it's also because he can tell these anecdotes. He can tell these war stories. Yes. He can say, right, okay, so we have these um, this heartbeat architectural pattern, but actually you you don't need it as much as you, you think you will or something like that. That was probably a bad yeah. example because that's probably a good thing to use. But uh, you know what I mean? That that yeah. he and, and then but then of course he went he went and, and wrote his own book, uh, which is teaching after now, which is a little bit more pragmatic than the, the normal books about software architecture that people are taught by. And 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 that's a good thing, but should we have a university that only focused on PhDs, research, and academics, and then have another university that focused much more on the practical and pragmatic part? That's the thing that I've been thinking about. And yeah. and perhaps with now, when I studied, there was not we didn't have a bachelor's degree in Denmark. Mm-hmm. We would take a master's degree five years. That was what we were signing up for five years in university. Yeah. But the master's degree came in the I think it started in Denmark in the late 90s. And now people are actually finishing with a bachelor's degree. And I think that's a good thing. Now, I don't know how it is in England because I know the bachelor's degree has been part of that system for a long time. But what I'm hoping will happen in Denmark is that people take them with a bachelor's degree. They have to pay a little bit less than with a master's. And then when they pay a little bit less, they probably also perhaps expect they need to teach them a little bit more, that they need to 
have some sort of apprentice um apprentice work before they yeah. they go into the guild so to speak yeah. it's also when one of the things that really struck me when i did the research in uh, in the teaching was that i would you know that you for every course you have this this is a prerequisites for this course you have to have passed this and this course then you can take this course you have to pass this and this course and you, you can take this course so so the teachers on this course they expected the students to know everything yeah in the courses that they had to pass at prerequisites but you actually you can pass with the two in denmark which means that you can actually pass without knowing perhaps like one third of what you should know and the teachers are expecting that and if you if you if you accumulate all that missed knowledge and you and you and you compare somebody who's learned all these things and somebody who only learned parts of these things those two people have the same degree i know that they might have different grades but maybe not even so much yeah and so so but they are very different you you can't really tell how good they are when they come out yeah, I, I confess, I've, I've always slightly struggled with that that mental model of learning, of kind of filling up a jug. You know, it, it, I think it's much more like light, lighting a fire. You, yeah. you you want to teach people enough to get them excited and interested, yes. so that they're going yes. to discover their own things because yes. nothing else is going to work. It, that, yeah. you know, that there is not a one body of knowledge that you must know, and and no. one of the things one of the things that I'm I'm kind of sad to say this. Well, no, I am sad to say this, but certainly when I was hiring lots of junior people in in, in my past you know past career, um, I'd be as happy, maybe happier, to hire somebody with a non-software degree than to hire somebody with a software degree. I I, I hired a few physicists and chemists and people like that, and they slightly more rigorous scientific training meant they were, they were better at problem solving and better at learning and those mm. seem those seem you know important practical skills in, in in a weird way given that those are, are also highly academics maybe more academic studies they seem to have more practical skills that you know that, that i would recognize uh, in it might be just the kind of environments that i worked in but certainly that seems to ring true to me and it's not always true that there, there were some some great uh, junior developers from the computer science background too, but that I think that's a damning statement if that's the case more generally. If that's not just my own bias, well, you're not the only one I've heard saying that. No. <laughs> but I think that there are a lot of companies that only hire after degrees and uh, certificates. So there's still there's still room for for those people who. <laughs> who've just gone to university and taken a certificate so yes. that you don't have to be I, I remember when people started saying that on, on the on the social media i was like damn <laughs> so i'm taking this very long very difficult degree don't yeah. doesn't that mean anything and then i heard somebody say well the one thing you can be sure about if somebody has a phd is that they are able to read a very boring book to the end of the book <laughs> <laughs> they're, also, they're also able to write a very uh, boring thesis to the end <laughs> and that's a qualifying characteristic of a software developer <laughs> but, it, but it's back to the learning goals and it's Absolutely. right it's, it's back to the learning goals again yeah. so when i'm when i'm thinking about teaching on the most abstract level what i'm thinking about is changing people's brains mm -hmm. what is it that is different now in the brain 
from when they started this course or when they started this education. And it's that difference I want to be able to measure. And if you if you look at the theories that we now use to create a course, first you think about what are the competences, what are the learning goals, what is it that you want them to be able to do or to be able to say or to be able to relate. Mm-hmm. And then you think about how can I assess this? So what kind of exam do I want to make? What kind of challenge do I want to give them so that I can assess this change? Mm-hmm. And then when you have those two things ready, you start thinking about what activities do they need to know to train to do this? And then after all this, you start thinking about, so what should I say? What should I use as information so that they can do these things, so that they can solve this challenge, so that they can get this learning competences? And that's very different from when I started teaching, right? When I came out in my first job in industry, I was asked to create a course that would would enable people to pass the Java programmer certification, which was something everybody had to do at that time. So what I did was what every teacher, I think, maybe, maybe teachers that were smarter than me didn't do that. But every teacher at that time, I bought a very big, expensive book that was called Java programmer certification. And then I went and I read through the book and I made slides, like 10 slides for each chapter. And then I took the assignments from the book and I gave the assignments to my students. And then at the end of the course, uh, I sent them to the certification and they got the certification. Most of them, some of them didn't, but it's just so different from when I'm... So back then, I as a teacher thought about my relation to the content and that was that relation i was most worried about how can i make these slides what should i say how much should i say but now what i'm interested in is the relation between the student and the content i'm not so interested in my relation to the content i'm thinking how can i get the relation between the student and the content to work how can i support this and when i went to exams at university there were some some of the courses that I didn't like I didn't spend so much time really going into it I just wanted to pass the course I didn't really intend to learn anything so I tried to figure out how can I game this exam how can I answer the right things without spending too much energy on it and you know probably you'll remember there are some exams that you can game you can just say this and this and you can get by right it's okay but if you if you use the other theory, the theory that says the assessment or the exam should assess the learning goals and, yeah. and the things that you do to the exam is something that you have trained throughout the course, then the only way to game the exam is to actually gain those learn to gain those skills. Yes. Because that's the only way to game it to actually pass. So when you think that you've cheated the system what you've done is exactly what we wanted you to do yes so so how do you go about how do you go about teaching people that way how do you go how do you go about doing that in these academic settings where you know given given the the societal constraints and so on that we've already talked about i suppose how are you changing you know how are you changing the model what are you teaching the teachers um, so 
one of one of the main things that I'm that I'm teaching them is is this difference between the learning goals, the learning competences, and understanding the content of the course. There's a huge difference between those mindsets. And I try to explain to them that it is almost impossible to evaluate how much people understand this concept. Evaluating understanding of something is very vague and very abstract. Evaluating to, to what degree they can achieve a learning goal or a skill or a competence is much easier. Mm-hmm. Also for the students. So for the students, if if the teacher is actually thinking about these learning goals as little like bullet points about what the student should be able to do, then it's easier for the student to say, okay, if I can if I can do eight out of ten of those, I can actually get a good grade. If I can do five out of ten, I can pass. So it's much easier for the students to based on their own level of what was it called, want to have a high grade, um, to evaluate how much work they should put into it it's previously you've been thinking about sometimes about exams as being a little bit by chance or you could get lucky or you could get unlucky i want to get away from that so that's the first and the foremost thing that i try to make the teachers understand that this is a different way of thinking about describing your course then of course i want them to try to think about changing the exam so that it actually assesses these learning goals and uh, becomes less uh, less based on chance or luck or having mm-hmm. a good day or a bad day and then the and and those two first steps um seem to go like okay the third step is what I really struggle with with the teachers and where I have in in numerous occasions I've just completely given up and that is that I I try to tell them that the only thing that you should make the students do is actually the things that you are evaluating or assessing at the exam mm-hmm. and and the thing that you tell them should be only things that will either explain to them how this works how to solve this challenge, or as you said before, make them curious about learning more. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that you sometimes do in a long education is that you're killing people's instinct to learn. You're killing their curiosity. Yeah. And what is really important for children, of course, as well, but I'm not really thinking about children and this, but that's also important. But what's really important is to teach people that it pays off to be curious, that it pays off to try other things than what the teacher is saying, that it pays off to ask questions and being critical because we want them to understand that it's not so much about getting a very high grade, but it's about understanding and learning things. And then when that happens, they will probably get a high grade if the course is aligned as it should be aligned with the learning goals. And and that, that prompts an interesting thought in yeah. my mind anyway which which is so 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 okay we, we're talking about this from the point of view of the teachers because that you know that's that's what you're doing but what about from the point of view of the students if a student is not going to your university where you're teaching the teachers to be better better at it and they're you know in a more traditional is there anything that people can do to take that learning you know into their own hands and, and do a better job of their own learning yeah well I think there's enough out there about how to get a better grade without actually working for it. So I'm not going to go into that. And that was also not what you asked me for. So, yeah. 
I think if you if you as a student want to to continue to to have this curiosity so that you actually learn how to do these things, you you should either you should actually ask the professor to motivate what it is that you're supposed to do in this course. Mm -hmm. If if it's um, if it's compiler optimization, please motivate this for me, because if the teacher can motivate it for you, then they might send you in some directions about okay, so if you don't optimize this this will happen or if you optimize it a lot then this will happen and to 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 try to think about this not not as an individual thing but yeah. try to think about it in relation to other things as well because that will that might make it more interesting for you because once you know the relation to other things you can you can go into those relations and see okay so the, i need to understand this in order to be able to understand this so do that and and that might be interesting, but I have to say that the reason why I'm thinking like that is because I'm 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 very much a global learner, and uh, there's a lot of different aspects of how people like to learn, and it, so one of the things that you can be is that you can be on the spectrum of either being a global learner, global thinker, or or, um, or sequential learner or sequential thinker. And um, there are some tests that you can take and you can believe in them or not believe in them. I don't really care about that. But so global learners like me find it very interesting to understand the whole picture. So what motivates me to become more curious is to understand how this relates into the bigger picture. If you, on the other hand, are a more sequential learner, then you're more interested in the nitty gritty details. And then you should ask your professor for the nitty gritty details. You, you should ask him, not why, 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 you should ask how, 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 right? Mm -hmm. Like if you have, like when you have a user story and you want to make it more abstract, you ask why, why, why? And if you want to make it more concrete, you ask how, how, how? And it's the same in the teaching. People with my kinds of brains, we ask, why do we need to learn this? Why does it relate to this? Why does it work like this? And then other people's brains like, how does it work like this? But how does it work like this? But how do you do that? Why do why does that optimize? Where does that number come from? Right. Yeah. So I think it, it really depends on what kind of brain you have. And then you can go in one of those two directions. Cool. Uh, interesting. So so if we in, what do you think ought to be you know, if you could wave your magic wand and you could you could you know solve the problems that we've been talking about in this kind of technical education what changes would you make across the board you know not just in universities but but elsewhere what what you know students teachers organizations employers universities whatever what what would you change mm. and only get one wish <laughs> you can have as many as you like. <laughs> okay, great. I've got three. <laughs> One wish. Mm -hmm. I really wish that when people, when the, when you, when teachers are making examples, when they are using examples or analogies, that they are thinking out of the box, so that when a male teacher is giving examples about drinking beer or playing football. Maybe he can think about if there are people in the audience who might not relate to that and then think about some other examples as well. Because one of the things that really makes teaching interesting 
and really makes you understand things is if you can like compare it or relate it to something that you already have in your brain, which is why the beer examples or the football examples works very well with people who are interested in that. But people who are not interested in football and beer do not have a part of their brain dedicated to that. So all the examples that are supposed to glue the new information to that are not working, so they're falling out of the head again. That's just, longer just story. to interrupt you for a minute. You, are you saying that football and beer aren't innate? <laughs> I'm sorry. We should. I, I should have warned you. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really wish that people would think about analogies and examples that were maybe interesting for more people in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, because examples and analogies are a brilliant way of making people listen and making people understand. But that's that's something for a different conversation later, how to make things stick in your brain. Sure. So that was one thing that I want. A second thing that I want is to, I really would like all teachers to think about those learning goals or, or, or competence goals instead of just thinking about what the students should understand. Yeah. Because it really doesn't make any sense right it's difficult to assess it's difficult to live up to and the third thing i really want all teachers and presenters to think about is the cognitive load theory mm -hmm. so cognitive load theory it has become a little bit more famous now with the team topologies where they're talking about it so i think i can mention it with the without a deep explanation um so the simple explanation with the cognitive load theory is that of course if you're saying a little bit to people at the beginning of a presentation, they only understand a little bit. The more you say, the more you understand. But there is a sweet spot. And when you reach that sweet spot, when you've said so much in a lecture or a talk, then actually the, the knowledge or the understanding doesn't just stay, it actually goes down. So it actually deteriorates what you have already understood. Yeah. So one of the things that I really struggle with with the lecturers is don't put so much information into your lecture. They're trying to optimize how much they can put into the lecture. Yeah. They're trying to optimize by making slides. That's why they're making slides, because it takes too long to write the things on a board. But I tell you, if you have to make slides because it takes too long to write the things, then you are saying things too fast. So. I would really want people to think about that cognitive load theory when they are when they are deciding how much to talk about instead of just trying to cram things in. Because as you said in the beginning of this talk, knowledge is not something that you pour into somebody's head. It's something that they need to construct themselves. Hmm. And that's another thing that we could talk about. The constructivism theory by Jean Piaget would be very interesting to talk about as well. But it's it, this said, this... It's a sad understanding that they think it's easy because they understand. So they think that just by saying it, people will understand. And also the thing that they think is that people actually learn when they say something, which is absolutely bollocks. They don't learn anything by being told. They might get, um, they might get inspired. They might get um, motivated. They might get uh, interested, but they won't learn. They only learn if they do something about the knowledge themselves. Sometimes it's enough to talk about the knowledge to do something about it, but they have to do something about the knowledge. Otherwise, it just disappears. So those are the three things. Cool. Thank you. So so 
that's I I I I, I do I, 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 all of those ideas seem seem important to me as well. The, 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 I, I'm just just wondering what what ought to be the goal of that kind of technical education so clearly that not that knowledge acquisition but but certain certainly i i think i'm very guilty of what you've said when you know in in the things that i do of probably cramming too much in in and uh, you know not not concentrating enough on the learning and and so on that's a difficult thing to it's a difficult skill to learn as a teacher that's a difficult thing mm -hmm. thing to do um I'm, I, I keep coming back to, you know, how, if your teacher is not doing that, what 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 things do students do to to, to learn that? Because that seems, you know, I, I I like the idea of you. Know, I got the name for this from you. The, the idea of the soup exercise: like first fix the things that are in your sphere to fix, mm -hmm. and try and influence the things that are outside, and don't worry too much about the stuff that you can't affect. So, you know, if you're I'm I'm kind of assuming that that watching this this episode, there are probably going to be more students than teachers. <laughs> At yeah, some level. Too. yeah. And, and so and so what you know, what can students do to try and steer their learning, even if it means going and telling the teacher to do a better job? What 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 is it that that, that they can kind of do? So, you know, what's the goal of the technical education from mm. from from a student's point of view, and yeah, there's the there's the stuff that had naught to matter and probably matters more than it should of just just getting the good grade or the good score and so on. But you know, if we're generally if we're genuinely talking about learning, then mm. there's got to be some ownership of the learning on the part of the student. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's also one of the things that I try to talk about when I'm teaching is that it's also your responsibility that this is good teaching. Don't, yeah. don't come after this course and say, Oh, it was a lousy teaching, lousy teaching. You can do something about it, but of course you have to be emancipated. You have to be empowered to do something yeah. about it. But I think that one of the things that I, that I try to tell both the students and the teachers is that when, when somebody starts an education, don't assume that they know everything and they yeah. just need to get reminded. And I think it's important to tell this to the students. So I'll tell it to all the students. You don't have to know everything when you start an education. That's why you're taking this education, right? Yeah. So if you knew everything, if you didn't have to ask questions, if you always came up with the right answers, you wouldn't need the education. You have the education in order to ask these questions, in order to come up with these bad answers. So make the most of it. And the teachers like to be used predominantly. Yeah. They really like to be asked questions. Yes. And if it's a silly, stupid question, they get even happier because then they can answer the question, right? Yeah. So 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 take your take the responsibility of your education in your own hand. Don't think about whether people think you're stupid or slow. Go ahead and focus on asking all the questions that you need to ask and try to answer everything that they ask you. Even the bad answers are good for your understanding yeah. because if you come up with an answer that turns out to be wrong, you will now be told that what you had in your brain was the wrong understanding, the misunderstanding. And the weird thing about brains 
is that you can have two competing understandings in your brain at the same time, the right and the wrong, but you can only remove the misunderstanding when you take it outside of your brain and the right one wins. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll stay in your brain and they will be problematic for you. But I think also if you if you think that you will be working in industry as an engineer, it probably would be good for you to take a semester off and just work as an engineer. Yeah. Just tell people that you don't need to get paid so much or whatever you can afford and, and then work in it. But, but try to find a place where they do good work, like where they do pair programming or mock programming or ensemble programming, what that it's yeah. called now, where they actually have some sort of education and apprenticeship instead of just putting you in a booth where you work alone. So Yeah. And if there are any people in that kind of position listening, I have a few videos for, aimed at junior programmers and people coming into industry. Check those out because I'm because I talk about some of the ideas that I know is talking about here as well. Um, I, 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 and I, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you as well, <laughs> junior programmers. If you're in that situation, also realize as well as not knowing as as well as realizing that you don't have to know everything when you come into the course you don't you're not expected to know everything or you shouldn't be expected to know anything when you come into a new job either you know it's all about learning it's and and the more the more experienced you become what it seems to me is that you get you get the more comfortable you get with your own ignorance oh yeah <laughs> that's definitely true and that's to one of the things one of the things I tell the uh, the teachers in Spain that I'm teaching how to teach is that if there's only one thing you take away from this course, it is that you don't have to be able to answer all the questions. Yes. If you look back, if I, I've asked so many students what their favorite teacher was, who their favorite teacher was, and why they were their favorite teacher. And it was never the one that could answer all the questions. Yeah. It was the one that could communicate who could, like make mistakes but correct their mistakes who who were brave enough to say i don't know the answer to that but i can find the answer to you yes so so one of the one of the only things that i really 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 want these teachers to take away is exactly in the, like in the same thread you don't have to know everything yes. it's quite all right to say i don't know and then go find out the answer it might even be a good learning experience for a student to know that you don't know everything and then you can show them how you find the answer right so when i don't know this i will google yeah. for this or i'll look in this book or I'll ask somebody else or i'll try it out look in this just try it out i i also think that's that's one of the the joys of teaching is the opportunity for you to learn as a teacher oh. and one of the one of the less talked about bonuses for ensemble programming in, in whatever form is that, that, that Richard Feynman, one you know, the Nobel Prize winning physicist, used to say that you don't you don't really understand something unless you can explain it simply to somebody else. And so if you're working in a pair or in a group of people and you can, you know you you are required to some degree to explain your ideas, you're going to deepen your own understanding in that attempt. And that's really valuable in terms of your own learning. And, and I, I like that when I'm teaching people stuff, but also when I'm pair programming with people and just you know working alongside them, because you both get to deepen your understanding in, in, that, in that sense. Um, you touched on earlier on uh, uh, 
we kind of flew past it but you mentioned certification you said that at some point you were you were you were teaching a course to for people to get java certification i must confess i i'm a little ambivalent about certification on one hand it seems kind of important would you trust a doctor or an airline pilot that wasn't certified to be a doctor or an airline pilot probably not um on the other hand our industry has got a history of fairly terrible certification schemes largely commercially run um i'm I was hesitating to mention it, but how do you become a master at anything in, on a two-day training course that everybody passes? That, yep. that doesn't seem like a very good idea to me. Um, where do you think the line is? Where, where, what, what do you think? You know, what do you think about certification in general, in the broad sense, and where ought what ought to matter in terms of you know? professional and it might be that there's a whole range of things as you said before because it's a very diverse profession um i would value experience more than certifications but it is just so much easier to look at the number of certifications than to evaluate the uh, the experience in a sense it's a bit like that old joke with the man it's dark you know and he's under the street lamp looking for something and somebody comes and asks him what are you looking for and he says i look for my keys and then the other person says did you drop your keys here no he said but this is where there's light to find them i actually dropped them over there where it's dark yeah it sometimes what we get is what is easy to get so what we measure is what is easy to measure and i think that it comes back to where we started this discussion, the learning goals, the competences, the skills. If you want people to be able to um, answer multiple choice questions about Java programming in the work, and that's what you want them to do, then the Java programmer certification is definitely a very good way of evaluating that precise skill. Uh, and it it does say something about something. I, I don't believe that you can actually get the, for instance, the Java programmer certification without understanding parts of Java programs. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good programmer. Yeah. And I've actually <laughs> heard somebody say at some point that he thought it was the, the people who were really good Java programmers only got 30 to 40% correct. And the people who yeah. were like more theoretical got more than 90% correct. I'm not sure that you can make um a, a causality like that there might be some correlation one way or the other but i don't think that uh, it's a by implication in any way i'm trying i'm trying to get a, away from saying that all certifications are bad but yes i think that what i'm trying to say is that it would be great if we knew exactly what are the skills and competences that are assessed in this certification could i just say that yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's, no I, I think that's very much in line with, with, with what you've been saying so far. That makes sense. An example. Sorry, I'll go ahead. Yeah, an example from when I was trying to, um, I was trying to make research uh, about the teaching at university. Um, I tried to figure out what are actually the, um, the threshold concepts in computer science. So in 
physics and chemistry and mathematics. You have these threshold concepts, which everybody knows how to teach physics and chemistry and mathematics on university level, because you have these concepts that you need to understand in order to go to the next one. And at least when I did this research, we didn't have those things in computer science yet. But one of the things that you could agree on was that recursion is a threshold concept. Mm -hmm. It's quite difficult to understand recursion and to be able to implement recursion. But but once you understand it and you can implement it, it's 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 a skill that you can use to do other things with, right? You can go further up. Uh, so there was one of the courses at university that taught recursion. And then there were some other courses that expected you to understand recursion and be able to use recursion. So I made some um, made some evaluations as to what degree the students could explain recursion, could find errors in recursion, and could implement recursion. And and after right after the course where they'd learned about it, there was a high percentage of the students who who could solve these things correctly, maybe 70, 60, 70 percent. And then I gave them the same test well two years later and the, the the understanding or the practical skills about recursion had evaporated yeah so only about 30 percent of the students could solve these exercises now because they hadn't been using that skill over the years they it's yeah. it had sort of just been ticked off and and that makes me think so even if we have a long master's degree of five years of studies and good grades and everything like this how much can we actually expect them to know when they come out and it's still and it comes back to what you said previously about the fact that the industry needs to take responsibility for actually teaching these people or reteaching these people or putting yes. them into an apprenticeship so that they learn to actually do what they should do yes yes yeah it's uh uh, it, it, it it surprises me because because certainly places certainly places that I've worked um, we've taken that few places that I've worked we've taken that fairly seriously and you can grow I talk to people all of the time and say yes but what about an organisation with junior programmers in it who who don't know anything yet teach the juniors teach teach them to be better to yeah. be better and it doesn't take very long to get from junior to a competent you know good early stage programmer who you can kind of trust to do to do work with, with some supervision some help some some support rather rather like a junior doctor or something like that but yeah but with but, but with some 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 supervision i guess there's a problem in terms of the number of more experienced people versus the number of less experienced people in our industry um, bob martin i think says that the average tenure in software development is five years and so or you know always you know on average people have most people have you know um, uh, oh, only up to five years experience which is not it's probably enough but not a lot and it depends on the level of the experience the quality of the experience but, but bringing people on is, is yeah, you know, on-the-job training is actually valuable, and, and fast. I don't understand why more organisations don't focus on that. I I do understand why they don't, but it's still stupid. Mm, yes, or, or at least my under my understanding of why they don't do it 
is that they're so afraid of wasting the expert's time. They're so afraid of wasting people's time. And and many places in our industry, not, not the places that you worked at, I think, but many places in our industry are, are putting these individuals on a pedestal, right? Oh, yeah. such a good programmer, so intelligent. Oh, should never should never be bothered with anything. She or he should just work here on this very difficult thing without ever communicating with everybody. And and I think this is a mindset that we need to get away from. Because yeah. as you mentioned before, when you're teaching somebody something, this, this is where you get your understanding stretched. This is where yes. you find the holes in your understanding yes. that, that you might not know because you're always just doing things in the same way as you always do. So you're not noticing that there are things you don't know how to do, right? Yes. Because yeah. you're never being questioned. You're never being put into that position. You're never being challenged. So I think that one of the things that we need to change as a, as a whole organization is that mindset that that the good people should just work on their own and not be bothered. By, yeah. by other people. So we should have much more ensemble programming, much more pair programming. We yeah. should understand how much value it brings, not just to the to the novices, but also to the experts. Yes, as, as, absolutely. And and we were talking earlier about years of experience and all that kind of stuff. And you know, five years experience in one place is not the same as five years experience in another. If you're doing the same thing every week for five years, that's not really experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah, abso yeah. absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent. I I agree with that. That makes an awful lot of sense. Um, there, was, there was one of the jokes that we had when 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 I was talking about teaching is that some teachers with who has been teaching for twenty years has twenty years of experience. Some people who have been teaching for twenty years have one year of experience because they yes. never reflect. Yes. Yes, absolutely, and and that's definitely true in software as well. If you're doing the same things with the same tool sets with the same people in the same problem domain all of the time, you. Know, it's still one year of experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great. We're, we're, um, we're probably coming up to time. Um, we could carry on talking like this for a long time, I, I know, because, because we have in the past. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's been a pleasure as ever. Uh, thank you very much for, for agreeing to talk to us and, and talk about this. I, I think it's a, um, it's, a, it's a serious problem, I think, uh, that is going to be part at some point of us growing up as an industry it seems to me mm -hmm. to, to deal with these two sides of the problem and yeah. it's great it's great that we've got thoughtful, thoughtful people like you helping to to make the change um, so uh thank you very much everybody for watching i hope you've enjoyed the content here today if you do hit subscribe and like and talk to me and i know in the comments and and we'll do our best to respond thank you very much